Uh, if you're new with us, we have been going through the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I almost called it the Lord's Prayer. I'm calling it the Disciples' Prayer today because that's really what it is. It's for us, um, but I probably will still call it the Lord's Prayer because that just got burned into my brain early. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go through Jesus' instruction to his disciples on prayer in Matthew 6. It reads like this, And when you pray... When you pray, disciples, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Now when you think of famous Bible verses or passages, well known regardless of your belief, honestly. I mean, there's phrases, cultural phrases or verses that many people know, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian this morning. Uh, John 3.16 might be one of them. God so loved the world, sent his only son, whoever believed in him will not perish but have eternal life. Like that's one that just gets stuck in us culturally. We just go, yeah, that's a verse people know. Uh, phrases from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, well, that's the one that kind of uh, gets, uh, gets stuck that we think about and, and know. Uh, we may not be able to list the Ten Commandments, but we know like the Ten Commandments are kind of a thing that culturally we're supposed to be aware of. Like the Ten Commandments is a phrase that we'll think about. Um, and even if you did our F260 reading with us last year, which was, you know, three weeks ago, but last year, if you did that with us, you, you read the phrase of the, the workers in the vineyard, and at the 11th hour, people came out, and they were paid the same wage as the ones who were there all day. Well, where do you think we get the phrase 11th hour from? The 11th hour, the last minute, right? Like that. So we even have a phrase that we use that comes out of a teaching that Jesus gave on God's generosity to those who believed early, and those who believed late, that they get the same reward. And we just go, oh, there's an 11th hour thing. Well, clearly, the one that we did today, or that we're going through today, is also right up there. You've probably heard it. If you grew up in any kind of denominational structure that was a little more structured in its liturgy, uh, then you might have even uh, grown up reciting it. You say this uh, week after week. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, for being honest, is probably J- Jesus' high priestly prayer in John. Like, that's the one the Lord is praying. And this is the Lord's instruction on prayer in Matthew 6. And this is what I like about Jesus' instruction on prayer. Have you ever found an expert in something? And just, just the relief that that brings you when you find somebody who actually can answer your question? You know, like you're on the phone trying to track down an issue, and you're like, can I please talk to your manager? Can I talk to your manager? Can I talk to your manager? And you just kind of keep tracking that down. And then finally you find the person who has the answer, who knows the difference. Or you have found the physician that has actually treated the problem that your child has. You're like, oh, finally. Right? Like everyone else was just stumped. But you know. Well, Think about what we get this morning in today's passage. We get Jesus teaching us how to pray. That's what we get. We get Jesus teaching us how to pray. 
We don't have to, we don't have to go anywhere else. And so we actually get the Son of God who listened to everything his Heavenly Father said, who was perfectly and totally obedient, even to the point of death on the cross. Jesus, the master teacher, and the one who knew no sin, teaches us, instructs us in prayer. We're continuing in Matthew 6 this morning, and remember, this is all part of a bigger portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And the bigger portion that we're in, this is our third week of it, the bigger portion that we're in is that of false righteousness and real righteousness, essentially. It's, it's faking your faith and actually living out your faith. And so there's all these contrastive statements that Jesus makes about when you do this, don't be like these people, but, but do it like this. Now, I, I find it interesting. Remember, Jesus uses his words specifically he says, when? Doesn't the word when have kind of a built-in expectation? When you do it. Not if you do it. Well, if you give, or if you pray, or if you fast. But when you do these things, do them differently than the world. Nothing that Jesus is teaching on in regard to the habit itself. Giving praying and fasting, those three that we'll go through. Nothing that Jesus is teaching on is something that uh, only Christians have done. Even people who don't really have a faith have prayed. Even people who don't have a faith have fasted. People who don't believe in any God give. Some of them give very generously. So Jesus isn't teaching this is how Christians discipline themselves. This is what they do. Like, these are things many faiths and even people without faith do. But what he's showing us is how those who know God as Father pursue them in a way that honors God. We get three, this is the second of three in that little section, but it's all in prayer. We did um, praying in secret last week, and then the instruction on the Lord's Prayer, which is actually about praying succinctly. And then it, he finishes with a statement about forgiveness, which kind of feels instructive for us. It's not actually about prayer, but it flows out of forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. So the next week's teaching is on a phrase that Jesus gives a little commentary on in this prayer. Today we get to talk about babbling, and instead, how not to babble in prayer, but to pray as one God hears. So to begin, just as Jesus is de- as he's done, when he says, don't do it like this, do it like that, like those books, eat this, not that, you know those books, do this, not that, like, don't pray like this, pray like this. <laughs> so Jesus is instructing on babbling prayer. And what he says is big and babbling prayers accomplish nothing. They actually accomplish nothing. Big and babbling prayers don't do anything. They have no value. Verse 7, the first half of verse 8. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. We're talking about the Gentiles, who are people of other nations, not Israel, so right, the surrounding nations. Don't pray like them. 
He says, don't, don't be wordy. They assume that God hears them because they're being wordy. This is like a, a kid's tactic. The noisier I can be about something, the more likely it is that mom or dad would hear me. So I'll just keep making noise about it, and then maybe I'll get heard. This view of God is that you're clamoring for his attention. You need it. And he's busy off doing something else, and so you have to, you know, bang gongs and make noise and say loud phrases and get real serious, or else God may not hear you. So the more loquacious and mellifluous you're praying, the more your your Lord may listen. If he doesn't respond, then just get louder, because then he'll hear you. It's the same thing in church life. In church life, right, we talk about like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. If I could just be a squeaky wheel to God, then maybe he'll pay attention to me. If I could be loud and, and draw attention to myself, then, then, then maybe people will listen to me. Now, I'm going to read a long passage. It's not going to be behind me. I'm just going to read a long passage from 1 Kings 18. This actually contrasts that same idea, even though we're in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 18. 18, where Elijah, faithful prophet of the Lord, is confronting the false prophets of Baal. And Jonathan Pennington, in his commentary, makes this connection. I'm just going to read the verses for you, and you'll hear the difference in the approaches to prayer. You'll hear the difference in praying like the Gentiles, the surrounding nations, and praying like one who knows God. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. He's basically putting together a little competition here. You call upon the name of your God. I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God, the one who answers by fire. The people answered, It's well spoken. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull. Prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. Right? Because we're going to see if God responds. They took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered And they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. And there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes 
the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two sieves of seed. And he put the wood in order to cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Right? Because it's much easier to light wet wood. No. He said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, so the prophets of Baal had been praying all day, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That's it. That's his prayer. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. Never seen dirt burned, but God did it. Licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now, the end of that, I would not encourage you to do. Don't slaughter people who don't pray like you. But do you see how this is right in line with what Jesus had instructed? Right in line. People who follow me don't need to babble from morning until evening. They don't need to draw attention to their prayers. They don't need to march around and scream and wail because there's no response and try really hard to get one. The prophets in this passage then, of course, are the negative example. Don't do that with Elijah being the positive example. A simple prayer. Now, to those in the room that are new to the faith, or those who are watching along at home who are new to the faith, or young in the faith, I, I said this some last week, I want to say it again, please, please do not feel like you have to level up in your prayer, like you have to have some kind of astounding phrasing, some magical way of using words so that God hears you more. God doesn't care if you don't know all the views on the millennium. He's not concerned that you're not sure how to pronounce soteriology. It's not a concern of his that you can't recall what all the letters in tulip mean. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't bother him. I was talking with a friend even this week, uh, some about the sermon last week and just believers praying, and he said, and I'm sure many of you felt this way, oh, there are definitely times where I'm embarrassed to pray in front of people because you just go, man, dang, that was a really good prayer. I don't know how to do that one. I don't know how to say those things. I can't feel that serious. Some of these people pray so seriously. I can't do that. And so I just say, Quick prayers work. Ineloquent prayers are glorious. Because prayer doesn't exist to manipulate God.
just for us to communicate with God. Align our wills to His. Submit to Him. It's not for us to manipulate Him. And so you don't have to be wordy. And I, and I would even say this to those in the room who are, you know, we all consider ourselves mature. It's just kind of our thing. So no one's immature here. But I would encourage you to try and simplify at times the way you pray. You ever realize that maybe the way you pray in a group or in community group or in D group or when you're around others kind of makes people go, I can't do that. They kind of back away from praying because now what's happened? It feels inaccessible. And what is Jesus trying to instruct us in but accessible prayer? Anybody listening to how Jesus instructs goes, well, I can do that. I can do that. I can't babble from morning till night, but I can do that. I say the same thing to kids in the room. Simple is fine. Simple is great. One sentence, one sentence prayed is more than no sentences prayed. Simple is awesome. You don't need to pray like mom or dad. Just pray simply and sincerely. One sentence in faith is more than a thousand in the flesh. And here's the truth that Jesus is going to highlight. That's why you don't need to babble to get God's attention. The truth is God knows our needs. That's the second half of verse 8. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows what you need. And so you don't have to then pray really loudly in hopes that you can get His attention because He's unaware. We don't need to be babblers. We can take a breath and be with our Father and just talk about the things that we need because He knows them. Jesus isn't here trying to discourage you praying. That's where we can get when our theology gets in the way of our praying. Where we go, well, I don't even see a reason to pray. If he already knows, I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, just go ahead and tell your spouse that you don't love them or you don't say I love you anymore because they already know. It's no big deal. You don't need to enter into a relationship and communicate because they're already aware. Just make a list of things they're already aware of and then never say it again. But God knows our needs. And the great truth in this, because he knows our needs better than we do, and he knows more of them than we do, is that this allows us the freedom to engage God with anything, because nothing will surprise him. You afraid to confess your sin to God? Why? He's aware of it. Are you afraid to communicate your, your needs, even if they might be selfish? You don't think he knows that you're being selfish? You don't think that he won't graciously correct that? Or we, get to, we get to go to him with our needs. In fact, and this is, this is something I don't, I don't think we often think about, if you look at this prayer, and we'll go through kind of the statements here in a moment, but if you look at this prayer, they're all requests. Every single thing stated is a request. You ever thought about that? Jesus is saying, go to the Father and ask things. Ask things. 
In fact, if you go through the New Testament, you'll find that the prayers are requests. They're asking God for things. For this reason, I bow my knee before God the Father, and I ask this. If you find all these prayers, and you read the epistles, and what they're praying for, they're praying for things that they like to see God do. So to those who have suffered a loss over the past year, the Lord knows. And he knows your need for comfort. And he knows that you're hurting. To those that have perhaps lost zeal for God because your sin's weighing you down, God isn't surprised by this. You can confess these things to him. To those who haven't trusted Jesus, who have no category for praying like this because God isn't your father. The Lord knows your needs and he provided by way of his son the sacrifice of Jesus for us to enter into a relationship with him to be able to even call God father. God knows what we need before we ask. He's not surprised by our needs. He's not thrown off guard by our needs. He's not embarrassed by our needs. And we don't ask so that he might be appeased. I just want to hear you say it, right? Like, you know, you might do in some condescending way. I just want to hear you say you need it. God's always providing, always caring, always loving. But what we then get to do is God knowing our needs removes all pretense and window dressing from our prayer. We don't need to dress it up pat it so that it really comes across as good to him it means that we can when we pray just get down to business because there's nothing that's going to surprise him and so as we go through these statements and uh, the lord's prayer the disciples prayer and jesus instruction on prayer you'll see this what's he asking disciples to do we're praying simply and clearly There'll be specific things that we are praying simply and clearly. The orientation flows first in our connection to God and then in our connection to others, right? That's kind of the flow that you'll see. Many things in the scriptures have that same kind of flow. Let's look at God and what God has done, and then let's move to implications of that. And this prayer does the same thing. It has that move to God's character and then our walking out life. A big part of prayer is alignment, aligning our hearts to God, not trying to get God to align his heart to us, because he won't. And so what are these statements that Jesus says that align us to him? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Disciples recognize God as Father. He is our provider. He's the one who meets our needs. So we first address him as Father. We don't have to go, Oh, Lord of merciful majesty, might, and wonder, and power. Like, okay, if that's, what's, that's the flow you're feeling, don't want to cramp your style. But you just get to come to God as Father. And I do. I think about my relationship with my kids who have no problem coming into our room at any hour 
Daddy, Mommy? Like, they're just right on in there asking things. Will you do this? Will you do this? Are you ready for this? Like, they just barge in. Why? Because they know their relationship to us. They're not barging into your room. Hope not. If they are, please let me know. Somehow they got out. They're not barging into your room. Nor are they going into one another's rooms to ask for things. Because they know they can't get it from them. They come to us. They come to us. Recognizing that God is Father. That he's personal. That you're his child. Is that first way that we recognize God in prayer. Now, Jesus did the same thing. Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father. That's how he prayed. And so he's not having us pray differently than he did. He's shown us this way to pray. So God, our Father, and then there's this phrase, hallowed be your name, or if you want to make it really intense, hallowed. Right? If you say hallowed, God hears you better. We'll just say hallowed. And that really is a request for his holiness. You heard Lindsay say it. His holiness to be known. May people see you as different. May your name be holy. May it be regarded. Because you are God. So might your name be seen as holy. The Ten Commandments start like this. The uniqueness of God. Exodus 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Because there is no one else like me. Well, the disciple prays the same thing. That God is unique, that he's set apart, that he is different. So, Father, might your your name, and by name, your reputation, people's knowledge of you, might it be seen as holy. And then in verse 10, we have this kind of three phrases that talk about our desire to see God's reign in this world. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. These kind of roll together. Now the petitions recognize what Jesus has been teaching on, which is kingdom living, living out the values that exist for us in Christ. What we want to see is God's rule made manifest. What is happening in heaven, God, may it happen here. And this is how I sometimes think of it. This is how this has helped me think about prayer. Is that, that where there's reality on one side, and there's what God has revealed in scriptures on the other side, right? When there's a gap between those two worlds, what I'm seeing and what God has revealed to be or what should be, that gap is the your kingdom come, your will be done gap. That's where prayer fills it in, between what we see and what God has spoken to be. So when I have people in my life who don't know Jesus, right, that's here. But God wants all people to come to knowledge of him. Well, how do I get from here to here? By praying. By praying. When there's a relationship strained, here. But God wants us to live at peace with one another. Well, how do I get from here to here? Through prayer. That's the only bridge I have. I can't muscle it. I can't reason it. I can't convince the other person just to like me more. I have to surrender in prayer. 
when there's strain in this world and there's infighting and there's frustration, when there's war and battles, I see that. And I see a world that Jesus is going to bring with him. And I pray, come Lord Jesus, that prayer fills in the gap between what is and what God longs for. And that we're here going, God, please bring that to be. May that come to pass. Save this person. Change me in my marriage. How I act as a husband and how the Lord would have me act. There's no move that bus moment there where I just become better. It's regular and surrendered prayer. So when we're praying these things, I think sometimes we just think of like light shining brighter. Like, oh, your kingdom come. But what are we wanting? God, may we live as a people as you would have us live. That's what you're praying. May may your will be done here. But then think about it. Think about the implications of this. Who are those people on earth who know the Lord? The disciples. Those who follow him. Even today, his disciples. So then who are the ones that should be praying these things? Who are the ones that should be obeying and seeking to obey in these areas? People who don't know Jesus are are not praying that they might know Jesus. You might be the only one praying for them in the world. And so the disciple hears the things of God, meditates on the things of God, and prays for them to be seen in this world. Even knowing that it's fallen, knowing that it's imperfect, knowing that we struggle, knowing that we fall, knowing that we'll sin, still praying, God, might your will be done here. Might it be done in my life? Might it be done in how I live? Might it be done in my home? Might it be done on my street, in my church? Now, if you consider Genesis your church home, then I would just ask you this question Where is your attention? What kingdom are you building? What are you giving your energies for? Are we looking and praying and longing for what will be? Or are we caught up in seeking what we want? News stories, controversy, drama that's like junk food for the soul, which should be my book, right? Chicken soup for the soul, but like junk food for the soul. Which is really where so many of us live, right? It's just like just consuming junk food about this world, and, and we have no real longing to see God change us, our neighborhoods, that more people amongst the unreached might know him, that maybe he would even use us for these reasons, these ways, and these purposes. Like, these are often not the things that we pray for. Let's not be... Uh, so mistaken to think that we are somehow totally detached from an incredibly selfish culture that's telling you it's all about you, what you want, your happiness, your joy, your desires, that for us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, actually requires us to say, not mine, (laughs) not mine. But the world's going to tell you, no, it's yours. 
You do what you want. You live how you want. You earn what you want. You work how you want. You, you spend time with what you do, whatever you want. And this prayer focuses us to, forces us to say, not what I want. Not what I want. How we pray reflects what we know of God. So we've had these statements. God is Father. Hallowed be your name. Be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Earth is in heaven. And now it starts to turn to how we live life here. And the first is a prayer for provision. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And I, I, I think about this a lot. Um, and I just go... It's really hard for me to pray this prayer because I have today's daily bread and tomorrow's daily bread and the next day's daily. Like I, have, I have daily bread in regards to prov- like God providing food. I have a pantry full. And so to pray that God would meet my needs today is hard. And I bet it's hard for many of you. Because like, well, if you do or you don't, I'm kind of fine. I'm good. But this is a a reference right out of Israel wandering in the wilderness, and God provided manna. Manna just means, what's this? Right? Because they didn't know what it was. Right? Like when you have the wafer today in communion, like that's not manna. You might go, what is this? Like we don't know either. He gave them what they needed, but only for the day. And then, before the Sabbath, he would say, take it for two days. Have two days worth so you're not gathering food on the Sabbath. But if you have food left over beyond the day that it's been given, it will spoil. This is not how most of us in this room live. And yet, at the same time, it is. Because you are a split second from your life ending. That only because God... (laughs) is sustaining us in this moment. Are we even alive? Every time you get in the car could be your last car ride. So when we pray for God's provision for the day, we are recognizing in that moment that we are not self-sufficient, that our being depends upon the kindness of God the Father toward us. That our existence through the day. And it might be beneficial for us even to pray that God would reveal to us more and more of how helpless we actually are. Because we often feel in control. Because we get this little corner of the world. We have our bank account. We have our life. We have our job. We go, okay, I I got this. Like, this corner is good. But even our heartbeat is dependent upon the kindness of God toward us. The breath we breathe. The way that we walk. So we're praying, give us our daily bread. It's a reminder that every second of our existence depends upon the sustaining power of God for us. He carries us. And so as we think about that, then we move again into the relational aspect of how we operate together. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as 
we also have forgiven our debtors. Now this is interesting because Jesus is going to talk about it and we'll go through it next week. But there's, there's this kind of interplay. And, I, and Matthew doesn't mind as he's doing this making you uncomfortable. Like he's okay with that. And Jesus is okay making you uncomfortable. But there's this thing, if you read, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. Wait a minute, so, so do I need to forgive so that you'll forgive? Is that how that works? Like, so hold on, I gotta go forgive somebody so that God will forgive me. Because if, in fact, if you read uh, next week's verses, verses 14 and 15, it's kind of how it sounds like. If you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Well, it makes me kind of uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want to think that I have to be forgiven. But, but remember, the way that we often think about relationships is not the way the Lord thinks about relationships. So we're praying, your will be done. That disciples are a forgiving people because they're a forgiven people. We're going to God as Father, so we're in that relationship with Him. And we're essentially just going, hey, forgive me as I am living in this way of forgiveness as well. So sometimes we, want, we, we worry about the order, but if we belong to God, our Father, who has forgiven us in His Son, then we too should be an incredibly forgiving people. And it stands to reason that as we pray to our God and see His holiness and see His provision and recognize His grace and kindness and mercy in Jesus to us, that we should both ask for and, and give forgiveness to people. That we should be quick to do that. That it should, it should just be like eager. Eager to reconcile and not be embittered. Eager to make it right. But that's what? A moment of prayer. Because we can't get there often. And so it's us, again, aligning to God. God, what do you want? And then finally, as we walk with him, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we, in James, learned that God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So why are we praying that we wouldn't be led into temptation? That doesn't make any sense. Like, Lead me not into temptation. Well, God doesn't do that. He doesn't, God, that's not his business. James tells us he's not in the business of tempting us. So why would we pray that God not tempt us? This, I believe, would be a recognition of our own weakness, one. Prone to wander, as the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That we are weak in the flesh and we depend upon God to move us in ways away from the things that tempt us and draw us into sin. So we're not saying, well, God's going to lead me into temptation, so I, hey, please don't do that, God. It's, no, I know me, God. And as I'm walking and dependent upon you for every breath and every step, I'm going to ask you to take me far from it. Move me far from sources of temptation. Keep me away from it because I don't need it. It's not the prayer we pray where we're like, all right, I know I have an issue on the computer. I'm just going to go ahead and get on and pray real hard the whole time. Leave me not in temptation. I'm like, no, no, just get off the computer. Like, that's, that's, that's the provision. It's not like this is like, uh, you know, how we muscle up in moments of temptation. 
right? We're actually praying as disciples that we don't get to the moment. Just, just I don't want to even be there. I don't want to be near it. Deliver me from that, God. Deliver me from that. Which again is relational. Keep me from evil. Keep me from sin. All of these prayers that we pray, these simple phrases, are there to give us language to what's going on in us and to engage with our gracious and loving Heavenly Father. He knows our needs. He's concerned about our needs. And Jesus is giving us language on how to go to him. And so he goes, well, do I use these words? I'm like, well, if we're going to do it right, we've got to use the words Jesus used, which are in Aramaic. So, like, if we're going to really go that far. But there might be seasons of your life where just to get in the habit, you pray through this. You actually pray these words. That's fine. There have been times in my walk with the Lord where I'm like, I, I just need something. I need this. <laughs> we can use them as guides. And so we can use these words, or we can use these words and, and put our own language to them. We don't use the word hallowed, do we? So we go, God, might, might you be seen as holy in this world? And praying like that. But simple and clear prayers based on who God is and how he would have us live in this world. That's how he's taught us how to pray. We don't need to go on babbling because God knows what you need. <clears throat> so you pray for those things because you don't have to really butter them up like the prophets of Baal tried to do. Well, pray really hard and then maybe something will happen. Pray for his name to be holy. You pray that God's kingdom and will to be seen on this earth. You recognize God's provision in your own life and declare that you depend upon him. You seek his forgiveness and you too are a forgiving person. And there are prayers that are hard for us to pray sometimes. Like God, are there relationships that I need to pursue where I'm bitter? Where I need to pursue reconciliation and restoration are there people from whom i need to ask forgiveness are there ways that i'm living unlovingly and unkindly toward others and you pray you walk upright and free <clears throat> from temptation because a content and satisfied heart in the lord doesn't need to impress God because it's been impressed by God. When you've been impressed by God, you don't have, you don't have to do anything because you can't. You're just declaring who he is, what he's done, your need, and it seeks the things that he desires. <clears throat> 